the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Oh! Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and today, everyone, we have a straight-up interview with a straight-up gangster, a podfather, if you will. I mean, I hate to be the rat here, folks, and break the omet, but my guest today is... How do I say this? He's a friend of ours, but he's got nothing to do with this thing of ours. Instead of the usual McCartney or Beatle-centric guest, today, we're going to be having some fun with the format. Well... I say we, I'm going to be having some fun with the format, and I'm going to deliver something a little bit different this time around. Shortly, you're going to hear my conversation with one Mr. Vic Singh, aka my current favourite podcaster, and he's the host of an incredibly successful and high-quality series called Podder Bing, that is the essential deep-dive companion piece to HBO's crime family drama The Sopranos. He goes through episode by episode as well as interviews with literally everyone involved with the show. It is a must-listen if you're a fan of The Sopranos, which I am, of course. And I hear some of you saying, well, Sam, that's all very well and good, but what's that got to do with Paul or nothing, or Paul McCartney or The Beatles? Well, the answer is, folks, nothing. I am literally doing this interview because 
I, I really wanted to. I just wanted to speak to this guy and this was the best way to go about it. There was no other format for me to release this under and you will see throughout the episode that I do try to touch on Paul and the Beatles wherever I can in whatever loose connective form that exists. But you know, this is like those directors in the 50s, you know, you do one for the studio and then you do one for yourself and this is the one for me. But for long-term listeners, I still hope you really do enjoy this episode because so much of how I've tried to approach this podcast and how I've, I've, I've tried to conduct and write interviews has been inspired by Vic over the years. And yes, whilst we do also still end up talking about The Sopranos for an awful lot during this interview, his insights on podcasting as an art form itself was incredibly insightful and I just love chatting with the guy. I hope you love it as well. If you're one of the new people listening to this show that, you know, maybe inevitably been drawn by Vic's name, hello, welcome to the show. Normally we do do album reviews and interviews, all things McCartney and the Beatles. So if you are in that Sopranos Beatles Venn diagram, then I do hope you stick around and check out all the other stuff we have available. But before we get into any of that, though, I just wanted to get into the matter of the housekeeping. Starting off with another email from Warren Butson, actually, another returner emailer to the show, as well as being one of our loyal Patreon patrons, who, with lightning speed, folks, has already sent in his thoughts on the first of our Press to Play episodes, which we released just last week. Warren writes, Wow, what a delicious episode that was, Sam. Yet again, you have delivered another beauty of a part one. I'm starting to think that these contextualising episodes for the album reviews are actually more entertaining than the album reviews themselves. This one in particular had so much juicy conflict between the three protagonists that made this controversial Macca album, an album that probably divides opinion more than the rest of his solo career. You covered this so well, and I was not aware of all of this detail on these sessions. What a mess. Macca was clearly so unsure of himself during this time following Broad Street with no gigging. A fish out of water, he had become irrelevant for the first time in his career. So first of all, let me just say again, thank you Warren. Of course, whenever you do send in correspondence to this show, it is always so wonderfully complimentary like that. And all I can say is thank you for that. Thank you for saying that. Ever since like the Tug of War episode, I've really been trying to put a lot more effort and detail into those part ones and make them a little bit more special and interesting for you, the listener. So thank you for recognising that. Of course, this episode is already incredibly indulgent for me. So thank you, Warren, for be, you know sending me an email in as quick as that for me to be able to, to read it out in conjunction with this. But the email doesn't end there, folks. And Warren goes on to say, First off, I can say that I was at Live Aid. Uh, of course, this is referring back to the last episode when I asked people who may have been at Live Aid whether they could actually hear McCartney singing or not. Warren continues, There was a very big build-up to him coming on, and when he did, it was a massive event within the event. Then, we can see him on screen start singing and no sound of any sort. So, we start trying to indicate to him that we cannot hear, and it just ends up with everyone starting to boo. You can see Macca look horrified. Eventually, sound comes back and we all cheer, but that was about halfway through the song. Not even the TV broadcast had any sound. The one who did was my girlfriend's dad, who was doing the BBC radio broadcast, Jeff Griffin, and it was his recording that they used on the DVD and subsequent reruns. Thanks for the podcast, Sam. Really enjoy your delivery and totally non-fawning approach to Macca. 
You are quite unique in being so honest yet still such a fan. You tell it like it is, even if it hurts. Hey, you are the Simon Cowell of Macca podcasters. Ha ha ha. Keep it up, dude. You really are miles above everyone else out there. Warren. Of course, you had to sneak in another incredibly wanky, offy compliment there. Thank you, Warren, so much. I can't believe I've got a listener out there who not only has written such a wonderfully well-written and erudite piece of correspondence there, but he's already one of my patrons, and he was at Live Aid immediately. That is insane. Uh, The odds as well that your girlfriend's dad at the time is the guy who pretty much saved the record of McCartney's performance there is one in a million. That is incredible. I cannot believe that. And of course, Warren, thank you for your continued Patreon patron support as well. There was a little bit more of Warren's email, but he mentioned that he didn't like Pretty Little Head, and I was never going to read out such a comment on air. Moving on, if you want to be like Warren, folks, if you'd like to have any of your correspondence read out on the show, if you've got any McCartney stories, whether you've got anything to say about an album review that I've done or an album that I'm about to do or whether you've seen McCartney live yourself, anything tangentially or loosely related, send us in an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I love reading out everything you send in on the show. For all updates and to keep up to speed with the show, find us on our Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. Find us on YouTube by typing in Paul McCartney or at McCartneyPod. Normally I say YouTube and Facebook, but at the moment Facebook has actually taken down the Paul or Nothing Facebook page. Oh my God, we've got a little bit of internet drama on the show here, folks. I know, right? I put in the appeal and apparently it's due to an apparent impersonation claim against the page or something. Perhaps it's just some sort of overzealous algorithm, uh, seeing Paul McCartney in the title or something like that. I'm not sure. Uh, Hopefully by the Flowers in the Dirt episode, the Facebook situation will have been sorted out. But hey, folks, hold on tight. For some bonus content, for some extra little articles and stuff that I couldn't quite fit into episodes and extra little things that I write in my spare time, check out the blog, which is www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. If you want to help out the show in a big way that only requires a little amount of effort, then whatever format you are listening to the show on, whether it is on YouTube, iTunes, Podbean, Podomatic, any of those, please leave us a five-star review and maybe even a little comment down below. Every single one you leave helps out the show and it really gives us the exposure that we need for more people to join the Paul or Nothing community, if such a thing exists. And finally, if you want to help out the show in a big way that is a a little bit more effort and requires a little bit more on your part, then please check out our Patreon page down below. And folks, if you do enjoy the show, if you do like what I've been doing here at Paul or Nothing, you know, I've been trying to put out a lot more content recently. And if you'd ever like to buy me a drink or a coffee or just say, hey, thanks, check out our Patreon down below at patreon.com slash McCartneyPod. Phew, all of that is over. And Now that the admin is out of the way, we get to move on to the main order of the family business. Again, still reeling from the fact that this interview even happened. My God, even when it did happen, I was having issues with my Skype and my Skype recorder. And I had to buy credit really, really quickly from Skype. And the the car payment was going through and I thought I only had Vic for like 10 minutes or something like that. But no, Vic was such a gracious gentleman and he spoke with me for longer than even he initially said he would. I know that it took a lot of work on both of our parts to get this interview together. 
And after our initial introductions, you know, we actually both ended up having a lot of fun with the conversation. I hope you all enjoy, everyone. This is my chance conversation with Vic Singh. My guest today is quite literally my favourite podcaster, not to put too much pressure on him or anything. And he's a poster boy for how hard work and passion in this art form truly pays off. He is the host and creator of Podder Bing, an introspective retrospective of HBO's The Sopranos. And as a fan of McCartney, I'm a fan of people who are the best at things. And Paul is the best songwriter ever. The Beatles are the best band ever. And The Sopranos is both the best live-action TV show and the best movie ever made. And my guest today is one of the best podcasters ever as well. So it's only fitting. Everyone, please welcome Mr. Vic Singh. Hello, Vic. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. You're too kind. I'm thrilled to be here. It is so interesting hearing you on the crackly end of a phone conversation rather than the other way around like your interview with uh, Peter Bogdanovich and stuff like that. This is such a treat for me, I must say. Your podcast is an unbelievably satisfying companion to the show. And like in the age of streaming whole seasons and stuff like that, your podcast is pretty much the only thing that I, as a modern man, have to look forward to in weekly allotments. So just to give me something to look forward to in that, in, in that sense, I am eternally grateful that means a lot. Again, I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's truly flattering. I made the podcast thinking me and a couple of people would listen to it, and it's turned into this crazy thing that I can never really fully quantify. So I'm grateful. I'm excited to talk to you. And that Peter Bogdanovich interview you mentioned is kind of funny because he was scheduled to originally be in the studio. Mm. And one thing led to another, and they had to reschedule something, and, and, and they asked if it would be if it was okay if he did it by phone, I said, sure, absolutely. It's Peter Bogdanovich. I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> and then the funny story before the thing you didn't hear was somebody called me to connect me to somebody else who connected me to somebody else who connected me to Peter. Wow. So I eventually got to him, but I had to go through like three or four channels. He was a great guy and that was a fun one. It's a fantastic interview. It really was. Now, for the sake of some sort of poetic link to this podcast, just to keep it thematic, I was trawling through The Sopranos trying to find some obvious Paul McCartney or Beatles reference buried within the, the full gamut of cultural references in that show. And the only one I, I could think of was Devin's father's mint condition of The Beatles' Rubber Soul in the episode uh, from season six. It's from Everybody Hurts, and was it re, was it Rubber Soul or was it Revolver? I think it was Rubber Soul. I think it's right. Rubber Soul. It's 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 that greeny brown cover. I think that's the only direct yeah. reference to the band in the show. I always found it odd that we never see Tony like listening to them in his car. Yeah, well, it's not so odd though, right? Because I can imagine that licensing a Beatles song would have it would have cost a, it would have cost a fortune. It would have cost you know one actor's entire annual salary maybe to get the to get the sync rights so it's not totally surprising mm. but then again you know if if, uh, if David Chase wanted a song on the show he usually got it so with that in mind do you know what Beatles song David Chase originally wanted to end the season six episode mayhem with mm, I do not so, according to The Sopranos Diaries, a book that I would not have known existed without your show, and again, truly indebted for that, 
the book mentions that Chase originally wanted the Paul McCartney song from Beatles for Sale, I'll Follow the Sun, which is a very uh, beautiful, short, little acoustic number. Are you aware of that one? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, of course I am. And, like, the fact that it's in, in an episode with, like, Tony's coma sequences, maybe there was some sort of poetic symbolism that Chase was going for there, like, going going from one like from, from one place to another, going into the light, perhaps, was the uh, connection there. I think the song they went for in the end was The Deadly Nightshade by Daniel La- uh, Lanois, or Lanios? Um, uh, Lanois? Lanois, I think. Thank you. When in doubt, always when in doubt, always add a French uh, spin on the pronunciation, and you can't go wrong. I found. Yes, I don't want to end up sounding like uh, Carmine Junior or something like that. No, definitely not. Though I think I've, <laughs> I normally do more often than I than I'd like. I could just imagine though, like you you could definitely picture like uh, come together playing in the Bing or something like that. You could have definitely snuck one in there. There's not even um, a solo Beatles song either which uh, hopefully would have been slightly cheaper. I think um, you're, a, you're, you're a big Mad Men fan, actually. They had to pay like $250,000 for the use of Tomorrow Never Knows in that one episode where they all do the LSD. Is that how much it was? I think so. Like, I can just feel the money being drained from Breaking Bad and from The Walking Dead, you know? Uh, yeah, no, for sure. As far as the Beatles and The Sopranos, I think it's interesting because, you know, they were at their prime, and I guess you would know more than this, they were kind of in their prime during the 60s, right? The mm-hmm. 60s were their decade, and, and David Chase is really sort of a student and a, and, a, and a fan and, you know, and an admirer of the 60s. So it's interesting why, it, why they didn't have more of a sort of, you know, handle on the show, but he was also a huge Stones fan, as you know, mm-hmm. and the Stones are in the show. And the Stones have also found their way into other Mafia movies as well, or Mafia-centric movies. Of course. So it's interesting. It's interesting the, the, it's interesting the distinction between the Rolling Stones and the Beatles as far as music in that genre is concerned. It always seemed that the Sopranos crowd, which is necessarily part of the Scorsese umbrella, has always been Rolling Stoned slightly focused, you know? the most uh, Scorsese's ever done with the Beatles as a topic would be like the George Harrison doc- uh, documentary, Living in the Material World, uh, which is yeah. a fantastic doc- documentary as well. One of the best ones on the Beatles, even though it's about George Harrison, oddly enough. I love George Harrison. He, he popularized Indian Western, he popularized Indian classical music. So the, the Indian subcontinent owes George Harrison a lot. Yeah, a lot of people they, they 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 can take quite a cynical view and be like, oh, it's it's reappropriation or people taking something popular and showing it somewhere else to make money." But I literally would not know who Ravi Shankar is without George Harrison. Like, I would exactly. not know about so much exactly. incredible music. Same can be said for like uh, transcendental med- uh, meditation as well. I, I, I wouldn't know about like you know Maharishi and all of that without the Beatles as well. There's so much that I've learned through that. And rather like The Simpsons, actually, The Sopranos has taught me more about America than any university degree in American history could ever teach me. Because every single episode is just this rabbit hole of Wikipedia articles. And what does that line mean? What is that? What, what does that phrase, phrase mean? You know, you've got to learn Italian to keep up with, with, with the show. There are so many avenues you have to go down. And that's kind of like the Beatles, you know. Every single influence they had, you're going to check out that that avenue and stuff like that. 
If you could select a single Beatles song, or even a single Paul McCartney song, Vic, just to keep in the selection with this show, to end an episode of The Sopranos, say if you had 250k on the hip, what song would you pick? On the spot, um, Looking Through You. Ooh, that's my mom's favourite song, so well done there. That's a, that, um, from Rubber Soul as well. Because I'm looking at the show through Tony's eyes, so I don't know if I could find a way to make that work on a particular episode. I don't know which episode, um, but I'd, I'd love to find a way to tie that one in. Then there's definitely others, but that one just came bubbled up to the top of my brain. I was thinking maybe something like Because, because like, that's a song that's just begging to be over the credits of something. And it's not a particularly well-known one, but it's a very emotionally resonant track. But I like your choice as well. It would be one of those very upbeat tracks that they choose to contrast against something horrific Tony's done, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I have to think about it a little bit more. If I come up with another one, I'll tell you uh, down the line, too. But um, there's a lot of, even if it wasn't an end credit song, there's a lot of opportunity for, whether ironically or whether, you know, to drive a, a message home, there's plenty of room for, for Beatles lyrics and, and, and Beatles sounds, for sure. Oh, a Tony Dream sequence with the Beatles would be fantastic. Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. Or even Melfi's one. On that note, what would you say is the best closing track that did end an episode of The Sopranos? Well, it's a deep cut, and I said it all over and over again, and it's one that just tops me in my tracks every time. It's uh, Black Books by Niels Lofgren. Sadly, I forget the episode. It's Saturday morning over here where I am in Los Angeles. So you have to forgive me. But <clears throat> Tony and Carmela are sitting on the couch, and she's laying down, and she's had enough. I think it's right after the... I think it's second opinion, mm. actually, now that my brain is starting to work. And it's Oh, the, uh, is, is that the... It's the guitar solo. Yeah, that's the episode with, with the other psychologist, isn't it? Where you meet uh, Melvis yes, teacher. Yes, Krakauer. Yes, yes. Um, so that, that song over the end credits really, um, really does something to me. See, I think that might be my best friend's one as well. He's going to be so happy to hear, to hear that. I'm never going to hear the end of that one. For me, though, the best closing track has definitely got to be one of the ones that closes a season six episode. It's the one when Phil Leotardo's in the bar talking about his past and his legacy and all of that. And it's evidently Chicken Town by John Cooper Clark. And the way it's just played non-diegetically as well, which is very weird for the show, is just so cool. Oh, re-watching The Sopranos is just so much better than ever watching The Sopranos was for me, you know? Just going going back to it and seeing all the stuff you missed and realising that this show is even better than you first thought it was. Like, you couldn't even conceive of it being better than you first thought it was, but it is. Well, it's like listening to a Beatles song, right? You listen to, you listen to your favourite ones at least 500 times, but every time you listen to one or a couple in sequence on repeat you always find something new you know like a little thing with the guitar or a little intonation in the voice you know you, if you really listen or if you really watch something you'll always find something new in it each time you come back to it so your first interview was with Anne crabtree all the way back in season one did you ever feel like the show was going to move towards an almost like 50 50 split between episode reviews and the interviews well, I always knew I was going to interview people. I always wanted it to be sort of, and I wanted, I wanted to have it be distinct, right? So, like, the episode deep dives are one thing. Mm. The interviews are another thing. 
and sort of just create these little spaces because different listeners like some listeners only like the reviews, the deep dives. Some episode, some listeners only like the interviews. I didn't really do it for the listeners per se. I guess I want to rewind a little bit. I did it because it was actually a little bit easier for me. Mm. I, 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 I literally do everything for this podcast in particular. I have a company that makes podcasts for other people and we do, do all kinds of work across the board. But this particular one, I, I just sort of, I, I'm molding it with, with clay, uh, literally from the ground up, so to speak. And so it was just easier for me to organize the show in different silos. That makes sense. In season two, you, you really do kick it up a gear, though, and knock it out of the park with, like, Michael Imperioli, a.k.a. Christopher, and Jamie Lynn Sigler, a.k.a. Meadow. And I've mentioned this to you in private before, but they're two of my favourite interviews ever. Like, they're just so revealing in the most satisfying of ways. And have you found the ability to book guests has gotten easier as the show has progressed and expanded? A little bit, yeah. What What happens is, you know, people become aware and word of mouth becomes useful but and a lot of people have asked this question as well like the interviews were really hard in the beginning i reached out i still do I, I don't have a booking agent i don't have anybody doing it on my behalf i just reach out to people as you know you have a podcast and scheduling is is challenging especially oh yeah trying to make that angle of it work first you got to get a yes then you got to schedule then you got to figure out the logistics of whether you're going to them or they're coming to you or you're going to do it on the phone. And phone interviews, as you know, are a little bit harder because you've, you've, got to, you've got to construct rapport, you know, with someone that you're not looking at. Looking at someone makes things a lot easier. Mm. But to answer your question, it has become easier, but, you know, it's still a process. Booking is still a process, but I love it. And I, and I love the relationships that have been forged as a result of it. And um, like I said at the beginning, it's been extremely rewarding but there's no secret sauce. It's, mm. it's hustle, it's dedication, it's commitment, it's patience, a lot of patience, and polite persistence. And I learned, someone told me that a long time ago, and I wasn't necessarily looking for advice, so it was unsolicited. But someone said something called polite persistence goes a long way, and uh, that is a very true statement. Well, that statement could not be truer with booking this in interview today, I think, actually. The one thing I did want to ask you in terms of your guests specifically, because there's one, there's one name that stood out to me that I was like, oh, God, how has this guy not been on yet? You, ha you haven't spoken to Stephen Schripper, a.k.a. Bobby Bakula, but I did notice that he's been on the other show, the podcast that I don't even want to mention by name. Is that an actual scheduling thing, or have you, or have you just not, has he, or has just not, not been available? Or? So I've reached out to pretty much at this point everybody. And, you know, there's, it's a combination of scheduling. It's a combination of interest. Some people have said no. So with him, I'm not exactly sure where we're at, but everybody has been contacted and everybody mm. has an open invitation. And then at some point, I would love to talk to him. He's one of, the, one of my favorite characters. Seems like a really cool guy, too. So I'd love to have an opportunity to sit down with him. I still blow people's minds when I tell them that he wore a fat suit for the first few, few seasons. I can't believe the amount of people you've booked, though. The big one being Terence Winter recently. Like, I, I've never physically drooled over a podcast before, but, like, there was definitely me mopping my, my uh, iPhone screen when I, when I saw that one. 
it's been kicking up, you know, for for, for you and your your show. And I guess, like, have, have, have the type of questions you've wanted to ask people changed at all? Like, are you ever looking for stuff that just hasn't been asked before? Or are you more just trying to create a conversation? Yes to both of those. Yeah. I mean, obviously, how how awful would an interview be if you're just asking the same things that someone else has already asked them, right? Yeah. So there's always that. And it's an imperfect science. I mean, sometimes people don't want to really talk about anything other than a canned question, and you kind of have to work with what you have. But mm. my process is pretty, has been pretty consistent from the beginning. I have a list of questions. I prepare, in other words. I don't, you know, I respect my guests time and I and I sort of respect their work and I and I make sure that I have something to talk about if the conversation is not going flowing naturally I should say mm. but generally I follow their lead generally I let the conversation go wherever they want it to go some people love to talk about the sopranos and other people not so much right so I have a que- I have a bank of questions and I will go off that bank of questions but I honestly prefer to just let it go I think I think part of the enjoyment for me is just being able to have a conversation with somebody and conversations, the best conversations are the ones that just flow naturally and organically without agenda, without sort of, without, without concern for time and without concern for, you know, being careful, stuff like that. And I think the ones that have resonated with the most people, I think Terrence Winter in particular, obviously besides the fact that he's probably the second or third most important person on that entire show I think the fact that we just talked, I think mm. the fact that we just let it go, I think it was super special and spectacular. And hey, look, it didn't make anybody happier than me. It's, it was a day I'll never forget. Oh, no, I mean, I am more than aware of the fact that if I ended up speaking to Paul McCartney or anyone remotely connected to Apple, that most of my questions would just be kind of unintelligible, guttural sounds as I try and compose myself. The logical conclusion for your podcast, though, is that at the end of season 6B, not only do you cut to black mid-sentence on the podcast, but you've also got to interview David Chase, right? That has to be the end goal. Literally everyone who is listening to you is just sat there going, Vic's got to interview David Chase, he just has to. It's got to be something that's in the back of your mind somewhere, surely. Oh, it's not the front of my mind. It's not at the back of my mind. It's, it's basically... It's it's uh it's circumnavigating my brain every day, but not in an unhealthy way. Look, I that is a goal. That is an absolute goal. Um, but I can imagine what it would. I can imagine what talking to Paul McCartney would mean to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I it, it's 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 equivalent in that sense. But I don't worry about it. I mean, look, I I I would love it to happen. I don't even know if it would happen at the end. Maybe it will happen at the end. I, I can, as you know, if you listen to the podcast, I communicated with him and I sent him a letter sort of expressing my goal or my wish or my, my dream, my hope, whatever you want to call it. But those things don't always go as planned, right? It's part of the show. Everything is sort of ambiguous and up in the air and the, what you imagine in your mind, something to be, uh, it doesn't always play out, but a version of it may, a version of it probably, you know, will in some, in some form or fashion. And I, and I'm, 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 I think about it and I'm be thrilled to have it happen, but I don't know if it would be the last thing. A lot of people would ask like, well, when you, once you recap the last episode, then the podcast is over. Um, no, I don't no, know no. necessarily. I don't know that it's over necessarily. I have, I'm not really going to discuss it right now, but I have a bunch of different ideas on, on things that, that Potterbean can be and directions that it can go. 
and I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Um, but, but back to, to David Chase, if you were to ask me two years ago, if I ever thought I would talk to Jamie Lynn Sigler, I would have said, you're crazy. If you would have asked me a year and a half ago that I, that Michael Imperioli would drive an hour and a half or two hours to come to my office to talk to me, I would have said, you're crazy. (laughs) And now to be my friend, to have become friends with him, I would, I would have said, you're absolutely insane. And then obviously Terrence Winter and just so many. There's been over 109 interviews. Not all of them are up yet. And that's just a scheduling thing and a choice thing. And I'm trying to figure out the best way to space stuff and release episodes that coincide with others. And just a little bit of a ballet happening behind the scenes that, you know, people may or may not understand. But yeah, look, uh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to sit down with David Chase. Who wouldn't? But I can honestly tell you, you're not going to get the run of the mill questions. Yes. You know, I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to ask most of the things that people would want me to ask. I'm, I'm not even going to go there. And I already have a list actually. I, I haven't shared it with anybody, but I'm actually saying it for the first time out loud. So I'm um, breaking news on your podcast. I have like 93, I think I have like 93 questions oh my God. Um, that I've been accumulating over the, over the course of this project. Uh, obviously I'm not going to have time to ask 93 questions. It's probably that list is probably going to get bigger (laughs) and I will winnow it down. But anytime I think of something, I I write it down for him. And the great thing about knowing to interview David Chase is that like the proof is in the pudding. The man is a man of detail and of infinite detail. And like, as with many of the actors, you know, they were just doing a job on the day and they might not have the detailed memories that you want. I've experienced that a lot with, like, session musicians and stuff, you know. They don't exactly remember how they came up with a great riff that is, like, so meaningful to you. But interviewing David Chase, I reckon you actually would get all the answers to all the questions that you could ever possibly ask him. Unless that's me, you know, prescribing a bit of uh, genius to him. But that is how he's described. Oh, it's how he's described and it's what he is. I mean, let's be realistic here. He made 86 hours he made an 86 hour movie over 10 years and it kept getting better and it kept getting richer and it kept getting smarter and we talked about it a few minutes ago how hard it is to actually make something how hard it is to actually get something in on a screen that in of itself is a huge accomplishment but to make it such a high caliber and critically acclaimed award-winning uh to have people on different continents you know screaming about it 20 years later that's a testament to genius if that isn't a testament to genius i don't know what is it seems like the show's more popular than ever now with like subreddits and forums and podcasts and sopranos con that's taken off this 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 year you know it's never been a better better time to be an instagram sopranos fan i'll i'll tell you that for free but something that i've wanted to uh, like ask about with people when i've interviewed them about say wings over america when paul and wings went over to america and did and did that great tour and stuff i love knowing like how it how it was on ground zero on the day and so like how different is it now being a sopranos fan in 2020 as it opposed to when it was actually coming out live week by week? Like, has your viewing experience changed drastically at all? Well, obviously, because of the podcast, things have changed drastically, right? Hmm. But I I miss the time that I watched it when it was live, when it was on the air, right? I miss those Sunday nights. Um, I miss being younger, obviously, <laughs> without responsibilities. Uh, I didn't have kids back then, and... Uh, uh, I wasn't married, although I was with my, my girlfriend then was, is 
my wife. They're the same person. Um, so we would watch it together. Um, and it was like a Super Bowl. Um, obviously that's not going to be relevant to probably you or your audience, but the, 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 the cultural sentiment is the same, right? Sundays were all about the Sopranos mm. and, um, you know, going to breakfast in the morning, um, and, and like, th- and like looking forward to night looking, we wouldn't necessarily always watch it exactly when it aired because we would tape it. We might watch it 15 minutes later, 30 minutes later, whatever it is, depending on what we were doing. But Sundays were centered around that show, like nothing else that has ever been since. So I do miss that. Now I find myself watching it by myself in a corner when my kids aren't looking or, you know, after I've done everything with my family. So it's a little more forced or a little bit more, it feels a little bit more illicit, I guess. Hmm. Um, but, um, I wouldn't trade the original experience for anything. It sounds unfathomably cool. Like it sounds such a generational thing, but just, just the idea of having to wait for a TV show is almost an outdated concept in itself. Like I couldn't imagine the show would have had any of the same impact if you could watch all of season one in one sitting in a kind of Netflix binge. It would it would just have lost all that mystique, especially with like the sometimes years long gap between seasons as well. Not only is it a great time capsule of filmmaking at the time and acting and but just the act of like releasing and watching television as well. In the same way that everyone in the in the wire is using beepers and stuff. Yeah. You know it would it's an interesting thought, right? Like how would the show be if it was, if all 13 episodes were released on Netflix, for example. And I, you know, it's, it's hard to say, right. It's hard to say. Um, and, and it's hard to, to like speak in hypotheticals, but I do think that there was a little extra added fantasy to the experience of the Sopranos because of the fact that you had to wait every week and you had seven days to sort of let the episode sit with you and, think about it and talk about it. And I, 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 for that show, I, I liked that it was that way. That was my experience. That was everybody's experience with the show being a weekly sort of wait. The new generation though, the generation that listens a lot, a lot of the listeners on the podcast to the, to the podcast are, are from the generation that didn't watch it when it was on TV because they were too young. Right. Mm-hmm. They binge it because they can do that. Now they get on HBO now or HBO go or, their Amazon prime subscription or wherever they find it. And they watch all the seasons, all the episodes in sequence. Um, and they still love it. So there's bo- it, the Sopranos benefits from both, from both communities of viewers, right? Mm. In that way. I just can't believe how many people still watch it now. I, there, there are so many people that I could just talk to like, Oh, have you watched the, the uh, Sopranos and the, and the light that just sparks in their eyes is, is always satisfying. For me, though, my my connection with the show, like obviously with you, it seems to have a, a very special connection with a certain time for you. Whereas for me, I guess it was the relationship I had with Tony as a kind of surrogate father figure. And like, I know you don't do spoilers on on your show, but let's just say the ending physically left me weeping for it was at least ten minutes. I have a witness; it really did happen. Finally, Vic. Normally, I like to do a little quick fire segment at the start of the interview, but. I, I was I was just wrapped up in Sopranos talking. It's all kind of spiraled out of control, really. But I don't I don't want to keep you for too long, and I'm just going to hit you with some quick fire ones. Unlike the one on your show, it's not going to be a word. It's going to be more about a specific song or an album. Just as a, a little aside, I always love it when you interview an actor and you ask them to do like 
I'm going to give you a person, you know, James Gandolfini, and you give me the first word that comes to their head. I always love it when they give you more than one word. I don't know what it is, but it always makes me laugh. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, like the follow, the, like basically because following instructions is hard. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like, oh, David Provol, a man's a genius. It's like, oh, that's like three words. Damn it, damn it. <laughs> what was the first time you ever encountered the Beatles? And when did you become a fan, more or less? It's not going to be one word. <laughs> oh, no, don't. Uh, there's a guy in high school. Yeah. There was a guy in high school. Um, so this was 94, 95. It was kind of like a, I went to an all boys Catholic high school, you know, so everybody's a jock, everybody's an athlete or, or looks a certain way, cuts a certain jib. Right. And mm -hmm. there was this one guy who would wear denim, wear denim mm. jackets to school every day. And he carried a guitar with him. And I'm really sad to say now as a, as an old man, as a father, like I used to judge him and I used to kind of, because I, I fashioned myself as like a jock or I wanted to be with the jocks, with the athlete guys. So I fully admit that I was a bit of an asshole uh, at, a, at a certain point in, in my life. I, I, I'm not proud of it. But he carried this guitar around and I thought he was just kind of a weird guy. And he was kind of a loner. And one day he was sitting outside. So the school would allow us to park our cars when those that drove would could park their cars on a lot in the back for the students mm. and, the, and the students could eat lunch kind of wherever they wanted. And he would eat lunch on, he had a pickup truck and he would eat lunch sitting on the ledge of his, the bed of his pickup truck and he would play guitar and by himself. Sometimes there would be like a person with him, but most of the times it was by himself. And I happened to be parked next to him that day and he was playing a tune and I didn't know the song. I didn't, I didn't, hadn't listened to the Beatles until I was 14 or 15 years old as part of one, as one of my points. I was late, a little bit late to the Beatles. Not that late, but a little bit late. Um, and I, I liked, I liked the guitar. I, I, I thought he, I thought it sounded really good. And I asked him, um, again, his name, name escapes me, but I, I can visualize him perfectly right now. Um, I went, I, I stepped out of my comfort zone basically. And I, and he was not one of the cool cats at, in, in the class or at the school. And I, and I just asked him, I was like, Hey, what, what are you playing? And he said, it's the song. He named the song. I can't remember the song. Um, but he said, it's the Beatles. And he's like, he's like, do you listen to the Beatles? And I said, no, I don't I, What are the Beatles? Who are the Beatles? And, um, he told me the name of the album or he, he told me the name of the song. And I remember going, uh, to tower records, which existed back in the day. Obviously they are now defunct. I think there's one or two locations, but it's mostly a Japanese outfit now. Mm. And I went and I bought uh, an album and I really enjoyed it. I mean, how can you not? It's amazing, catchy, hooky, lyrically smart, uh, economically smart. The songs aren't very long. So that's when I discovered it. I discovered it because somebody was playing a riff out of the tr tr back of his truck and the tune caught my ear. That's my Beatles story. Favorite album, favorite song, quick fire ones again. You know, my favorite album is number ones because it's mm. all the greatest hits, right? So that's my favorite album. Um, I'm not really a deep cuts Beatles person. I do like Paul McCartney's. I do like. I, I did like the stuff that he did with Wings. Mm. And favorite song is it's so hard. It's I. Ah. Uh, it's like trying to summarize James Gandolfini in one word, isn't it? Yeah. 
I can't. Oh. It's just, it would be an injustice. I'm not going to pressure you. And finally, just something I wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you as an American. Something that is, is perceived of Paul McCartney here in the UK is that he, he's not an act that's taken particularly seriously, like, say, Queen is now, or Elton John, especially with their two huge blockbuster films that have come out recently. From your own perspective, as far as you've perceived life, is is Paul McCartney an act that is popular in the States? Have you ever heard him on the radio? Do you see him on TV a lot? Yeah, he's he's wildly popular. I think he's the most popular Beatle by a mile. Um, mm. I mean, some of that has to do with longevity, right? Oh yeah. But um, he did he did something with James Corden that went super oh, yeah. viral. Oh yeah. Um, he's totally relevant. He's totally. Um, and I believe there was like a doc, not a documentary but a series on him. Again, I'm not super well versed um, in all worry. the stuff that he's done, but um, he is definitely part of America, the American lexicon, uh, the American lexicon in American popular culture for sure, without a doubt. Uh, that's what happens when you have an album called Wings Over America rather than Wings Over the UK, I suppose. Thick. Honestly, I am bowled over that I've been able to speak to you today. Podabing, I mean, I've had people compliment me on my podcast, and I know how awful it is to sit there, but you're just going to have to take it for a brief moment, because Podabing is just an incredible show. It really is. It, it's something that me and all my friends talk about, and we get excited when new episodes come out. And with Beatles podcasts, you kind of look for every single one that's out there, and you want to hear every single thing out there, and you want to hear loads of people's opinions. With Sopranos content, I found your show and everything else that was available online, I just stopped listening to. The marker quality was that high. And I can only hope you do one day interview David Chase because I know you'll fucking nail it. You'll absolutely nail it, Vic. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Um, um, what, what episodes can we expect com- coming up that you're allowed to tell us about? First of all, thank you so much. Very kind again, too kind. Um, and I also hope that you get to sit down with Paul McCartney one day. And <laughs> we can can have a drink and, and we can swap stories, okay? The new <laughs> stuff that's coming out, obviously, uh, five point, I just put out 5.03. Hmm. 5.04 is sort of uh, marinating in the works right now. I'm trying to get some special guests to do episodes with me for the final few bit of episodes, just change it up a little bit, mix mm-hmm. up some dynamics or in Aviv who did white caps with me. The response on that was pretty crazy. And he was really excited. It's a good episode. Uh, yeah. Yeah. To do the pro do that episode. He's coming back to do long-term parking. We're going to do that together mm-hmm. later. I think at some yes. point in March that'll come out. Uh, so that's, there's that. Um, there's also pot of being PhD, which is one of the ways that I'm sort of trying to like find Sopranos adjacent content to make and and that's basically uh me really deep diving on a on a discrete topic that's mentioned on the show the next one that's coming out is isn't necessarily directly mentioned on the show the art the of caravaggio the paintings of caravaggio it's mentioned on the podcast Mm. for sure and the name caravaggio is actually mentioned by carmela in a different context i'm going to be sitting down with the ucla's chair of the art history department to discuss him and lighting and in cinema and lighting on the Sopranos in particular. So there's that. And like I said, wow. a lot of other things. I'm, I'm, I love this project. I love the Sopranos and I love the Sopranos adjacent universe. So uh, stay tuned.
Vic, there's an episode that I've been percolating for a while, and it's going to be me looking at the Linda McCartney food range. With a show like The Sopranos, you have got to do an episode on food and just the food that 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 that, that they eat in that show. Even maybe attempt some recipes live on air. That'd be fun. Yeah, no, food for sure. I, I want to get. I want to sit down with a really big chef. Uh, I have a name in mind. I'm not going to say it because I've already tried to make some overtures to make it happen. But um, for sure, an Italian culinary genius that also happens to be a Sopranos fan. It's on my to-do list, a thousand percent. Oh, please say it's not Gordon Ramsay. Don't do it, Vic. Don't do it. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I'm not going to say who, but I, but someone in that. Someone in that universe is somebody that I have my sights on, and I'm going to try my best to make it happen. And who knows, you might also get that interview with Emily Ratajkowski one day. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Vic, thank you so much for, for this, man. I'm just going to be running around the house with a huge grin on my face for the, for the rest of the day. It's my evening now. It's your morning. So have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Everyone, check out Vic's links down below. But yeah, cheers, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam. Take care. And there we are, folks. Wow, that was indeed my conversation with Vic Singh. And whilst I promise you that the show's not going to veer towards a non-Paul McCartney-based format, I also can't promise that that will be the last time I have a very inappropriate discussion with someone on this show. But that being said, I'm not going to keep you... Not too sure what episode is next. We've just, of course, had press to play out of the way. But let me say this, folks. Uh, the work on Flowers in the Dirt has indeed begun in earnest. I've, my experience on press to play really has reinvigorated my passion for the album review format of this show, which was originally meant to be what the entire thing was meant to be about. But hey, stick around, folks. Much more content coming out soon. I'm working on quite a few episodes. I'm sure I'll pick one by next week. I'm sure Denny Lane has already been playing us out. Keep listening to Paul. Peace and love, peace and love. Harry Krishna, play us out, Denny. <laughs>